Christ is risen. It's good to be here with you. It's good to have you here with us. On the Saturday of Holy Week several years ago, I received a text from Sarah Solis. Sarah is one of our members. Many of you will recognize that name, occasionally sings here in worship, and who happened to be at the time of, uh, in question, part of the cast when Annie was on Broadway. So she was over performing on a, the Saturday before Easter. And Sarah inquired as to whether the 9.30 and the 11 o'clock services were at the same time, were, were not at the same time, excuse me, were identical. <laughs> And if the Easter egg hunt was going to be after the 9.30 service or the 11 o'clock service, to which I responded, uh, I indicated that both of the services at that time were identical, to which she responded, so basically our weekends are the same, two identical shows on the same day. I responded, working on Easter, no rest for the weary, to which she replied, at least both of the stories you and I will be telling have happy endings. Well, I'm going to start the story this morning by reading the happy ending to which Sarah refers, Luke's account of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. From the 24th chapter of the Gospel according to Luke, we find these words. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words and returning to the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. Friends, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord shall stand forever. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, Empower us to live in the light of the gospel, declaring its truth with our words and embodying this truth through our actions. Give us love for you and love for one another. Amen. This morning I'm basically, basically going to tell you the story of Jesus, but before getting to the story, the ending of which you already know, so the cat's out of the bag, I wonder if any of you have ever been to Enterprise, Alabama. Anybody? If you have, you perhaps noticed that in the middle of town there is a most unusual monument. I think, yeah, we have a picture of it. At the top of the monument is a large boll weevil. Yes, I said that right. I think we have a, a slide of that too, a little close up on the boll weevil. 
Now, for those of you unfamiliar with the practice of raising cotton, boll weevils are a farmer's nemesis. A boll weevil is a type of beetle which feeds on cotton buds and, and flowers. And for years in that part of Alabama, cotton had been king as it was throughout much of the South. But then in 1919, the boll weevil, which had migrated up, I believe, from Mexico, absolutely wiped out the cotton crops in that area, effectively destroying the farmer's livelihood. And as you might expect, there was much dismay and distress about the future. And anyway, the farmers decided to try planting peanuts rather than replanting cotton and risking boll weevil destruction again. And they discovered that peanuts grew well in that soil. They received a good price for their crop, and so year after year, peanuts became their major crop to the point that Coffee County, Alabama, became known as the peanut capital of the world. So the people erected that monument along with the plaque, which reads, in profound appreciation of the boll weevil and what it has done to, as the herald of prosperity, this monument is erected by the citizens of Enterprise, Coffee County, Alabama. Who would have ever thought that an ugly, pesky, old boll weevil would end up bringing blessing? Now, keep the boll weevil in mind as if you had any choice at this point. In fact, it's probably what you'll remember most about this sermon. For we might come back to it, but first back to the story. And you advance the slide again. Those of you who are familiar with the Christian story will recognize the name of Paul, the Apostle Paul. Early in his life, Paul was a persecutor of the followers of Jesus. He hunted them down and turned them over to be imprisoned or even killed. He, he even once approved of the stoning of a follower of the way named Stephen, the first Christian martyr. Paul went from Jerusalem to Damascus with a document which stated that if he found anyone who belonged to the way, he was to bring them bound to Jerusalem. Those who belonged to the way was the earliest designation for those who followed the teachings of Jesus. They were known as people of the way. And this way, this life, this path, this journey is all about following a man named Jesus. Jesus grew up, was born and grew up in a little town, or grew up in a little town called Nazareth in Galilee. The stories tell us that he was born under miraculous circumstances, but that's not really why we remember him, as there are a lot of miracle birth stories out there about various heroes of faith traditions, including some in the Bible itself, apart from Jesus. His parents, Joseph and Mary, are portrayed as faithful Jews, who must have done a good job raising him because after an event which occurred when he was about 12 years old, the author of Luke notes, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and humankind. You may recognize those words. Similar words were spoken about others in the, in the uh, Bible. The prophet Samuel in the Old Testament. And John the Baptist only a few verses earlier in Luke. And this description is important in that it tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom. And in fact, we learn fairly early on in his ministry that Jesus possesses a wisdom beyond his years. It tells us that Jesus grew in stature, that is, in size and age, just like any typical youngster. Jesus grows in favor with God. 
indicating he lives the kind of life pleasing to God and foreshadows the voice of God at his baptism. This is my son, the beloved. And finally, Jesus grows in favor with his contemporaries. His life is marked by the same types of qualities which today would earn our favor and respect. Integrity, quality of character, humility, honesty. Plus, he was a great storyteller and something of a miracle worker, which didn't hurt either. Well, this brief description of Jesus as a youth is important because the record is silent about him for some 18 years until at approximately 30 years of age, he reappears at the River Jordan, ready to be baptized by his cousin John, where he hears those words from God I just mentioned. After going on a vision quest for some 40 days in the wilderness, Jesus is ready to begin his ministry. He gathers a leadership group around him, a dozen men we call today apostles, though in reality he has a significant number of followers, disciples, including many women. At first things go well with Jesus. His teaching astounds all who hear it. He preaches with authority. He feeds the hungry. He heals the sick. He casts out demons. But most importantly, he, he exhibits a heart for the down and out. He makes even the poor and outcast, those abandoned by society, feel important that they are loved by God, that they are blessed and will be comforted and filled and inherit the earth as the kingdom of heaven belongs to him, them. He gives them a sense of value, a sense of hope. In doing all these things, he becomes wildly popular so that at some places it's hard to even get close to him, but that doesn't stop people. The friends of a lame man cut a hole in a roof of a house and lower the man into Jesus' presence. A woman desperately ill seeks simply to touch Jesus' garment, hoping beyond hope that it would cure her of her disease. Another man, short in stature and unable to see above the crowd, runs ahead and climbs a sycamore tree, hoping to catch Jesus' attention as he goes by, which he does. Another man, nervous about what would happen to his reputation if others knew he was curious about Jesus, approached Jesus at night to inquire about his teaching. Along the way, Jesus teaches those closest to him some of the lessons of discipleship. Words about suffering, about denying oneself, words about serving rather than being served, words reversing the common understanding of privilege that the first shall be last and the last first, words about how worldly wealth has the tendency, if we're not careful, to grab us by the throat and strangle us so that we miss out on what's really important in life. And as much as his disciples want to follow him, as hard as they try to understand, they never really quite get it. They never really quite catch on to the deep meaning of lessons such as these, once even arguing over who was the greatest disciple. Yes, in some circles, Jesus is wildly popular. However, along the way, Jesus makes enemies as well. Some people become disenchanted with him because they want to him to wield his special powers, something like a superhero, like a, a, a warrior king, and conquer the geopolitical giant Rome, kind of like David conquering Goliath. And they become frustrated with him because he says he's not that kind of king. And this angers others, especially the occupying power, Rome, because, hey, there's no king but Caesar. Some couldn't believe he would call God Abba, 
Daddy, what arrogance to suggest such a familiarity with Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel. Others couldn't stomach Him forgiving sins in the name of God. What gave Him that authority? In fact, some people even said He claimed to be God Himself, which accounts to nothing less than blasphemy. Besides all this, he often broke the Jewish laws with this apparent disdain and had the call, gall to call the Pharisees and scribes vipers and hypocrites to their faces, mind you. So you can begin to see a collision in the making. Jesus of Nazareth, for the large part popular with the poor and oppressed, but challenging the powers that be, both religious and secular. In any age, whether it be first century Palestine or 2019 America, pretty much a recipe for conflict. I mean, you don't challenge the folks holding the power and purse strings without expecting to take it on the chin, whether you're the Son of God or not. So Jesus was arrested, betrayed by one of his own leadership team, tried, convicted, and crucified on a cross. No, things didn't work out too well for Jesus. He didn't want to die any more than you or I want to die before our time, any more than we want our loved ones or friends to die before their time. He even asked God to remove this cup from him, to make a different future for him than death on the cross. But that isn't how the story plays out. But even in his suffering, somehow... Some way Jesus knew that God was with him. Even when he was dying on the cross, Jesus knew that God was near. Right before he died, one of the things he said was, into your hands I commend my spirit. Yes, he knew that God was not going to abandon him. And you know what? God was near Jesus, so near that when Jesus breathed his last, God received him into his presence. That's what we call the resurrection and celebrate today. No longer was Jesus dead, but this Jesus was alive and with God. Yes, somehow, some way, Jesus knew that God was with him. Even when he was on the cross, he sensed that God was near. And God was near Jesus, so near that God received him into his presence. And the real miracle of it all is that through the gift of the Holy Spirit, the disciples perceived and believed that Jesus really was alive and with God and the church was born. And here we are today, some 2,000 years later, still talking about his life. Who would have ever thought that an ugly, pesky old bull weevil would end up being, bringing blessing? Blessing. Oops, I meant to say, who would ever have thought that a man born to peasant parents who never traveled more than, what, 100 miles or so from his home, who was convicted and executed as a criminal, would end up bringing blessing? It's got to be the greatest story ever told. So what does this life of Jesus have to do with you and me today? A good question. And surely it is about bring, God bringing blessing out of dire situations Surely it is about the reassurance that as with Jesus on the cross, we and our loved ones are received into God's care when we die. But is it simply and only about 
being saved, so to speak, so we can get into heaven? Well, for me, it's about a lot more. When Jesus was walking his way on the earth, he was all about finding one's identity and fulfillment in serving God and serving others. Jesus was all about enabling all people, especially the outcast, the maligned, the marginal, to claim their place at the table. Jesus was all about bringing the kingdom of God to earth in your life, in my life, into the life of the church now. That was the way of Jesus when he lived on earth. But somewhere, I fear, somehow along the road, too many of us have turned that way of life, of following Jesus, into a belief system, and we've erected some pretty stout barriers to aid in determining who's in and who's out. But I don't think that's what following the way, the way of Jesus, is all about. Do you? The neighbor of a four-year-old child was an elderly gentleman, and this gentleman had recently lost his wife. This little boy looking across his yard and noticed this old man sitting in a lawn chair crying, went into the old man's yard, climbed up onto his lap, and just sat there. Sometime later, when his mother asked him what he had said to the neighbor, the little boy just said, nothing. I just helped him cry. I think that's what it means to be a follower of the way, to help Jesus heal the world, whether it be to help a grieving neighbor cry or feed a hungry child who wonders where his next meal is coming from or challenge a system wherein the poor suffer at the expense of the wealthy. Being a follower of the way means following in the footsteps of Jesus now today, and that will lead us into some pretty tough places. Jesus even calls it a narrow passage. But for those who choose to become devoted followers, it is the way to lasting joy, significance, contentment, peace, even salvation. I just helped him cry. Can you and I do the same? Will you and I do the same? In the name of Jesus, may our answer be a resounding yes. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you for this wonderful, miraculous story that has been preserved for us all these centuries about one Jesus of Nazareth, your Son, our Savior, Help us to follow in his footsteps, to live our lives today as he lived during his time on earth, confident that at the end of our journeys, we will be with you. Amen.